episode of the Noobs and Knockouts podcast. I'm Austin. I'm a knockout. I've watched a lot of wrestling. I'm David. I'm a noob. I haven't watched a whole lot of wrestling, but you know what? I'm taking an attitude about it this week. Hey! I hey. see the way you tried to tie that in, because we this week we returned to the attitude era. I, I, I'm glad you appreciate the reference. I'm doing my best here, man, all right? Yeah! Yeah, this week, uh, we we the clock has has the the calendar has has re- has turned forward as we move from 1997 to 1998. Ooh, all I, very, all the very year exciting. I actually existed. Yes, I I would have existed for two years by this point. I know. Aren't, aren't you so cool having age? Yes, I am. So today is about a month after uh, our last time visit to the Attitude Era, when uh, it was December, which was December '97. This is January '98. Uh, there's been four episodes of Raw and the Royal Rumble pay per view since I had since we last watched. This episode is actually the first episode after the Royal Rumble pay per view. Very exciting. What's the What's the date on this? Just out of curiosity, January nineteenth. Ah, shit, two weeks two weeks after my birthday, baby. All right. Hey. Oh, God. So, what what has been going on since we last since we last watched? So, uh, I guess the big thing I have to talk about first is Stone Cold Steve Austin. He is kind of the protagonist of the Attitude Era. I should probably go ahead and start with him. Is he won the Royal Rumble? And as a reminder, uh, winning the Royal Rumble means that you get a WWE Championship match at WrestleMania in the main event. So this it's a pretty big deal. And this is uh, Steve Austin's first win of the Royal Rumble. Oh, wait. How long had he been around the company at this point? Um, He came in in late 95. Oh, okay. 96. I don't remember the exact date. Respectable turnabout. All right, all right. Yeah, and so it was kind of a fun story because basically the story was is that Stone Cold made it pretty clear that he is going to kick everyone's ass. And so <laughs> and so all, all 29 other men. And so for the couple weeks leading up to the Rumble, he would just randomly show up throughout the show and like beat people up. It was kind of hysterical. But it was also kind of fun to be like, oh, when, when, where is he going to, when's he going to show up next? And so the roster naturally, you know, decided to retaliate. We, there were multiple skits of, like, the various fat groups of people in the locker room, like, trying to find Stone Cold to, like, preemptively attack him. <laughs> uh, look, man, it, it, the, the, the WWF has never been opposed to a little bit of backstage dirty work to get results, all right? No, it was, all, it was very fun. But it's it, just part it, of the culture. Yeah, but it didn't matter because Stone Cold won anyway. Ah, Wiley, Steve. Hey, and uh, he won kind of the, another significant aspect is that the, la- the last, the second, the runner-up was The Rock. And so this was another one of those significant, like, before it became the rivalry times when Stone Cold and The Rock had an encounter. So is this, like, after? After this, this, this is after the whole like the whole like belt skirmish thing. Yeah. Um, the the Rock is the, so are, they're not already like like feuding at this point, aren't they already at like this, kind of? No, at this, at this at the 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 belt tossing in the river was actually kind of the end of that rivalry for the moment. That's so weird. 
it is a bit of a weird one, but like at, at the moment, The Rock is still the Intercontinental Champion, which I'll get to what he's doing in a minute, in a little bit. And but Stone Cold is heading for the WWE title, so they're not really in the same lane anymore. Oh, okay. But this was it was kind of a, a nice moment for the to, to get to see The Rock and Stone Cold kind of uh, uh, fight duke it out a little bit at the very end. Yeah, no, that that uh, uh, after a little event like uh, like what happened last time we were here, uh, I imagine a, a, I imagine a bit of a, a, a fisticuffs would be would be kind of a therapeutic way to end things. It, yeah. So Stone Cold won the Rumble. Who's he gonna face? And that leads into kind of one of the bigger stories coming out of the Royal Rumble was Shawn Michaels versus The Undertaker. That was building to that um, when we last watched because it was already known that The Undertaker was going to be Shawn Michaels' next challenge. Mm-hmm. And he, Shawn Michaels, beat The Undertaker in a casket match. Uh, I believe I mentioned it last time, but as a reminder, it's basically a match where there's a bunch of coffins around the ring and you win the match by locking your opponent into one of them. Yep. Yeah, you've definitely, you, you mentioned that before, the Undertaker special, yada, yada, it yada. It is an Undertaker special. And like also every time that The Undertaker seems to lose the casket match, it's because 10 other guys show up to beat him up. <laughs> so that, that is how that is how the match ends of where uh, Shawn Michael, where Shawn, where Triple H brings out like a bunch of dudes in the back from the locker room. He brings out the New Age Outlaws. He brings out Los Bariquas, and they all gang up on the Undertaker. And inevitably, Kane shows up to help too because he's yeah. And eventually, but eventually, they're able to. Kane is the one who throws Undertaker in the casket, and Shawn Michaels is this there to be able to opportunistically shut it and win. Yeah, I, I'm starting to notice a pattern of the Undertaker getting like getting like ganged up on and curb stomped in the Attitude Era. That's kind of a weird place to take him, but I mean, if he gets the results, yeah, yeah, it's kind of it's, it's it's there to show how like otherworldly powerful he is, especially with Shawn Michaels. Like Shawn Michaels at this point is two and zero on the Undertaker. Taker <laughs> has not, and has both times had to have the assistance of Kane to actually survive. Oh, okay. Like, like there's a real through line of this story that for all of Shawn Michaels' bluster and and talking about how he's got he's he's the best and he's already beaten the Undertaker. Literally, if Kane didn't show up to fight the Undertaker himself, then Shawn would get destroyed. <laughs> Yeah, well, because because Shawn Michael is so much more talk than he is actual fucking talent. But that's just that's that's just my two cents. In kayfabe, definitely. Yeah, yeah, I I know he's he's actually like decently talented, but God. Uh... Yeah. So I guess the only other significant thing to come out of the casket match is this is the match where Shawn Michaels' famous back injury happens. You know, at one point, Undertaker throws Shawn out of the ring and he, his back kind of clips the side of the casket. And it, ends up, and it ends up like rupturing a couple of discs in his back. Oh, shit. And so basically he's going to get through this storyline with Stone Cold Steve Austin and that and then he's out wait this is the point at which he retires yeah for the first time yes oh my god i didn't realize it was like this early on yes he he his first retirement is in 98 and he kind of and i'll talk more about it next time we do the attitude era because that will be after sean has already retired but basically like by that he retires and then he doesn't come back for like four years due to a combination of both that back injury and also 
him being away from wrestling just kind of makes his drug addiction worse, his drug problems worse. And oh, that that's what truly keeps him out of it more than the back. But and it's it's really not until he he literally comes to Jesus that he is, is in a place where he can come back to wrestling. Yeah, uh, that I didn't realize that was all catalyzed like by a back injury. That's uh, that's interesting. Yeah, and it's 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 so funny because like. Again, when I say he clips it, I mean he clips it. Like you can barely tell he even hits the casket. Jesus and it's, Christ! It's one of the it's one of those things that you're like, if you didn't know that this was the moment, you might you probably wouldn't think it is. The trajectory of this man's career. What the hell? <laughs> yeah. So that so so right. Shawn Michaels is going to be a lot less physically involved for the next few months. Sure. Because because like. They don't know how many more matches he's got in him, but so we need him to get to the one that we really need him to do. Gotta say, gotta, can't say I'm complaining. Yeah, but so I did mention Kane showed up, so I guess I should talk about like the worst part about Sean and Undertaker is t- two things. Is one, it felt very similar to the Hell in a Cell thing. Like it was a lot of like Undertaker uses spooky words to talk about the spooky match, and Shawn Michaels is huffing and, and huffing and puffing. But then whatever he does, Undertaker just kind of beats him up for it. It, it, felt, it felt very similar, so it's kind of like this is boring. And plus, Undertaker is more is in a more interesting story with Kane right now. Well, yeah, uh, I wonder why. Yeah, so the kind of development of that is it, is that the last couple of weeks actually has kind of seen almost an ability for them to work together. Kane, has, Kane, you know, attacking every human in sight has 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 you know he sowed and now he's reaping. But you know, people people are people are looking for revenge about it, and Undertaker has actually come to Kane's aid a few times at this point. And, oh. and so now, and so there's, and while Paul Bearer has sworn up and down that Kane is still, is still angry at the Undertaker and that the Undertaker is trying to poison his brother's mind. <laughs> it, it is asking to the questions of like, well, are they going to fight or are they going to team up? Oh my God. Wait, am I actually going to start finding the Undertaker compelling? Oh my I, God, please. I hope so. Because I also, hope so too. I want to like him. Because the Royal Rumble is also a bit of a major turning point in the general relationship between Kane and The Undertaker in that, you know, I've mentioned that Kane Undertaker has been very clear up to this point that he will not fight his brother. His his par- he doesn't want to disgrace his dead parents by fighting his brother. Kane <laughs> Kane's all about that life, though, and after after locking Undertaker in the casket after the match, Shawn, and Shawn Michaels hightailed it out of there, Kane, <laughs> Kane, Kane in what is one of the most insane visuals of, of, of ever, you might ever see on a WWE pay-per-view, it ends where, the, where Kane douses the, the casket that the Undertaker is in, in gasoline and lights that thing on fire. Oh shit! Oh, uh, hey, that that kind of harkens back to something that's going on in the modern era. That, it, that's that's cool. It is, and I, I wanted I was I almost 
uh, decided for tonight that we were going to also see the very end of the pay-per-view just so you could see the visual, but it is on the, it, they do show the visual on this episode. So like, because you deserve to see it because it's pretty insane. That sounds awesome. And obviously if I want to, you know, if I want to, you know, um, explain away the magic of the, of the, of the scene, I can tell you, you know, they set up, they, they set up the casket in a very specific spot on the stage. Oh yeah. I mean, I mean, effects like that are pretty obvious as to how they like rig them. Right. But it is still insane to think like in kayfabe, at least, you know, Undertaker was locked in there. (laughs) Yeah. And Kane was just like, fuck it. I'm setting this thing on fire. And that's a hell of a visual. It is, and with with Paul Bear laughing in the background at it all. Oh yes, in his great. So so this is, so I don't believe this is the exact moment where Undertaker is like, "Fine, I'll fight you, Kane," but th- it's just, this is we're we're a lot closer to that moment now. That you know, immolation has come into the equation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, that 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 would make me a little cranky. I admit. Mm-hmm. So that's where that is. And then uh, the next big thing I want to talk about, The Rock and the Nation of Domination. You know, as I said, The Rock, uh, Rock is Intercontinental Champion. He hasn't really had a solid storyline for that title. I mean, he, he had a match against Ken Shamrock at the last at the Royal Rumble, but that, that wasn't a very well-developed story. Kind of the story, the bigger story with The Rock right now is, his, is the continuing tensions with Farouk. <laughs> <laughs> The first first beat to that is uh, the week before the Rumble, uh, the Nation of Domination got a new member. Mark Henry joined the Nation. Oh, okay. I'm on board for this. Yeah, that's pretty cool in its own right. But the other thing is, is that The Rock was explicitly the one who brought Mark into the Nation. And and Farouk was not at all consulted about it. So Farouk was like, what are you doing? Why are you adding people to the nation without telling me? And the rocks are like, "Come on, man! I did it for you, Farouk. I did it for us. Come on, man!" <laughs> and so at the then at the Royal Rumble, um, in the Royal Rumble match, you know it is every man for himself. I get you get that, but yeah. at the same time, when Farouk came into the match, he immediately attacked the Rock. Oh, he saw his opportunity to, to to throw some hands at him, and he took it. Well, yeah, sounds about right. Everything then, in this world is solved by fighting. It is, but at the end of the day, the final three were The Rock, Stone Cold, and Farouk, and The Rock eliminated Farouk from the match. Uh, oh, <laughs> so <laughs> the nation under Farouk is 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 fading away. And quickly. <laughs> Farouk just doesn't quite know it yet, I think. I, I'm i kind of surprised Farouk is dense enough to not read the writing on the wall at this point. Yeah, yeah. He, he's, he's, he, he doesn't really do anything about the fact that The Rock is clearly <laughs> trying to power grab him. Like, he doesn't... Yeah. Like, I don't, like, I think he, I think, if I had to guess, I think he just assumes that everyone, that the other people in the nation are loyal enough to him that it's not a problem. Uh, well, Farouk, you know what they say coup, about assuming. That this coup isn't going to work because, you know, Kama and D'Lo, Brent, Kama and D'Lo are on my side, right? 
Yeah, and I'm sure he's doing a great job at explicitly checking in with them and making sure that he's accommodating toward them so they re- so they remain feeling good to him and that he's not just kind of assuming everything and letting it slide. Hmm, because that would be bad and would probably lead to him get- getting thrown out of the nation. That would be an unintelligent move, and I hope he's smarter than that. <laughs> anyway, uh, next tidbit uh, is the new tag team championship scene, which is uh, still the, with the titles are still with the New Age Outlaws, and this is kind of weird in that like the fur in that like the, the their most recent world title their tag team title matches with the with the, with the Road Warriors Animal and Hawk Legion of Doom all that it's kind mm-hmm. of like because it was that was an explicit callback to our last episode when they like when they them and DX kind of annihilated the LOD. This is this the Royal Rumble was their first appearance back, and it was kind of supposed to be a revenge moment a little bit. Oh, oh, okay. But the Outlaws have also kind of moved on <laughs> from them. They don't really care anymore. Who they're who they're really in, in a feud with right now is with uh, Cactus Jack. Um, you know, they were terrorizing Mick Foley as do, when he was in his dude love persona. But don't worry, Cactus Jack has an answer to this problem. And that answer is Terry Funk. Terry Funk. Terry Funk. Yes, he is. He is. He is a legend in the wrestling business, both for being an absolute hardcore maniac. He uh, he's done some insane shit matches over in Japan, as well as being one of the early um, leaders of the of Extreme Championship Wrestling. He's also famous for, like, never retiring. I'm pretty sure he's still actively wrestling, and he's in his mid-60s. What the but fuck? He, but he's had so many retirement matches, I think people have lost count. <laughs> but Terry Funk is a longtime friend and rival, you know, to uh, Mick Foley. So Cactus Jack brought him in to help deal with the problem. Except he's not going as Terry Funk, he's going as Chainsaw Charlie. Hmm. Where he's showing up in like overalls and a shirt and a red shirt with and like a stocking over his face and a chainsaw that he's oh, ribbon, no. running around with. Okay. <laughs> sure. Yeah, it's, it's acknowledged in story that this is Terry Funk. Like. Mick Foley cuts a promo about it, and he's like, I don't know why Terry's going around calling himself Charlie and running around with a chainsaw, but, you know, I just roll with it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean, that that seems like an on-brand thing for Mick Foley to be up to, though. It is, Mr. Uh, Three Personalities, which I forgot to mention, that is one of the funny things about this Royal Rumble match in 1998. It was the match where all three Mick Foley personas were in the same match. That's so interesting. How did they pull that off? Basically, Mick Foley would get eliminated, uh, and then he would run to the back and change costumes. Oh my god. He first appeared as as Cactus Jack at the very beginning of the match. Then about midway through, he shows up as Dude Love, and then near the end, he's Mankind. <laughs> I love Mick Foley. No, Mick Foley is fantastic. Uh, so next bit of business is uh, tr- is I guess we got to talk about Owen Hart now. I'm going to make myself sad. Is oh. on our last episode where we had talked about Owen Hart had this fantastic promo. Where he's he's you know 
railing at Vince McMahon and how he's going to make Vince's life hell and he's coming for Shawn Michaels and none of that shit mattered. Not even a week. One week later, the story has already transitioned from being about Owen Hart fighting Shawn Michaels and Vince McMahon to Owen Hart fighting Triple H. Oh, no, not this. Yep. Basically, they transitioned away from that, and it's all about uh, him getting the European title back, and suddenly all of his his aggression is going out at Triple H. Shawn Michaels is not involved anymore. Sure. Yeah, okay. It's it's a phenomenal waste of what was a really awesome story beat. Yeah. And and this is what and because because he ends up fucking up tri- Triple H and then getting nothing after that, right? Yeah, pretty much. He he did actually get a WWE tight championship match with Shawn Michaels on Mon- on Raw, and it went about five minutes and it ended when Triple H hit him with a crutch. What the, the end? Oh come on! That was the whole thing. It was great. And I guess he's also now kind of embroiled. I forgot to write this down in my notes to talk about, but I guess this is as good a place as any to talk about it. Right now, WWE is trying to do an NWA crossover. Uh, As a reminder, the NWA is the National Wrestling Alliance. It was basically the territory system before WWF went national. Basically it was the predominant wrestling organization. All of the smaller regional companies came together to kind of coordinate business and all that kind of have and have a, and have a set of war of champions that crosses the whole organization. Um, but by this point, nobody gives a shit about the NWA. (laughs) Like it's a dead brand. It's a dead kind of brand. And for some reason, WWF at this time, probably because Jim Cornette, who was uh, one of the prominent people in the NWA, was also on the writing staff at this point. And so this is absolutely a Jim Cornette idea. In fact, he's heavily involved in the storyline too. Okay. Where Jim Cornette is bringing in guys who are either from the NWA or would definitely have fit the mold of the NWA, which is old school Southern wrestling. Yes. And we're in, we're in the wrestling business. No, we're not. We're in the entertainment, entertainment business. And they're showing up on TV and they're talking about how Jim Cornette's talking about how he's going to bring real wrestling back and blah, blah, blah. Nobody cares. And I barely do either. <laughs> but he, he's but but they attacked Owen Hart at the Royal Rumble. So I guess this is a thing going forward. Whatever. OK, I can't even like pretend to care that much because it's not that interesting and it's. It's dumb to think about even in retrospect. They, they don't even have, they're not even using the NWA World Championship, the one that's existed since 1906 when Frank Hackenschmitz or whatever was the first <laughs> I shouldn't be that blase about it, but I genuinely. No, I love, I love it when you're, uh, um, I love it when you're, when you're that blase about things. I, the excuse the first champion was Orville Brown in 1948. My bad, I forgot. <laughs> I, I'm thinking of when the NWA might have started. I'm forgetting when the first recognized world champion is. It's a whole different thing. 
Point being, they're not even using that title. They're using the NWA North American title as a proxy. And I imagine that's because they did. I don't think they had the rights to the NWA World Championship at the time. <laughs> so they're not even using the proper world title to make this kind of interesting. Okay. To use the old, they could. They're not using the oldest world title that exists still exists in wrestling. <laughs> Why? Okay, sure, whatever. It's it's dumb, and we're moving on. But yeah, welcome to '90s WWF. It happens. We're moving on to Goldust. Let's talk about ah. the artist formerly known as Goldust. Not on this episode, but I've had to sit through four weeks of him, so I'm tell telling you about him. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you sent me some of those screenshots, and I don't like it. No, so, as I mentioned, <laughs> this, during this period of time, Gold, they decided to make turn, change Goldust. Instead of being, instead of being, he's gay, and that's why you should boo him, it's, he's kinky and weird. He's weird because he's kinky, that's why you should boo him. Ah, uh, yep. But he's also doing stuff for the pure shake of shock value. For example, dress, doing a match in blackface against a black wrestler. Mm. <laughs> I don't think I need to say why that's bad. I feel like that's obvious. Also, not the last time WWE does blackface in 1998, but we're not going there. Oh, okay. Jesus. God, why? Oh, here's a fun exercise. Please take a guess at who did black who else did blackface in 1998. Um, I see my go-to would be saying Shawn Michaels, but if he's out of commission, um, I actually don't, uh, uh, please don't tell me it's Jerry Lawler. No, but you're close, okay. you're close on your first guess. It's the rest of D-Generation. Oh, it's the rest of D-Generation X. Of course it's the rest of D-Generation. Fucking God, I hate them. <laughs> they did that after Shawn Michaels retired. That's a whole thing. We'll get into it later in the story. Okay. But yes, the rest of DX does blackface because they're feuding with the nation of domination at the time. What? Okay. <laughs> Kill me. Anyway, end it. So Goldust, he does a blackface. Uh, mm. He dresses up as a Christmas tree for the Christmas episode. Okay. He dresses up as the New Year's baby for a New Year's episode. <laughs> okay. Again, he's really being weird for the sake of being weird. And, you know, uh, there one wrestler, Big Van Vader, whose kind of thing is, he's mass. He's also massive, and he kicks people's asses. He He's, like, feuding with Goldust, but there's not any real reason why he cares. There's not really any strong connection for why, like, why do you care? Goldust didn't do anything to you. Yeah. I guess it's just for have someone for Goldust to be, you know, playing off of as opposed to just kind of being weird. I don't understand why they need to do all this weird shit with Goldust. I just, like, don't, I don't get it. It, it makes no sense. None of this, like, is, it, 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 ugh. I will say that there was one thing he did that I actually thought was amusing. Um, is Mark Marrow, I guess we'll transition to other stuff, is to a last couple of things. Is Mark Marrow, he's still doing the storyline where his wife is sexually attractive and his wife likes sex, likes to sexualize herself, but he doesn't like it when, he, when her wife is. Yeah, the, the potato sack thing, Jesus Christ. 
because other people find his wife sexy when he does that, when she does that, and he's mad about it. Yeah. So uh, in, in the newest attempt to keep people from ha- thinking his wife is sexy, one during one of the matches, he introduces his wife, and it's Goldust, <laughs> dressed as uh, dressed as Sable. What? Why? Why are? Oh God! I just. I, I just, uh, I, okay, I, I don't want to, like, do too much editorializing in the front half, but can I just, like, take a second to express my, like, deep sympathies to Dustin Rhodes for the sheer, like, ringer, uh, crucible of, of, like, humiliation and degradation this poor man went through in his early career? Oh, yeah, no, that's fair. Uh, okay, anyway. Honestly, the craziest thing about it is how, like, really committed he was to the whole thing. Like, he was committed to make this work. Kind of a very famous story is around this period of time, actually, is that he went to Vince McMahon and was like, dude, he was like, uh, dude, you need, we need, you need to sell this angle. I'll get, I'll, I'll get breast implants if I have to sell this storyline. And Vince was like, no, no, you're, you're good. No need to go that far. What? Okay, okay. I, I think it's honestly part of how Goldust has been able to endure, despite everything, is that he's always been very committed to making it work as best he could. And people have appreciated that. Yeah, okay, I can understand that. I, uh, I, I, yeah, I'm just glad he gets a lot more respect these days, because holy shit, his run in the 90s was not good. Ooh. Uh, speaking of good, not good things in the 90s, Gang Wars! Uh, it's still kind of there. It's not on this episode, but it's still just kind of there. Like, they're not even doing stories with it anymore. It's just like, we, we need, we, it's, it is literally at this point been reduced to like, filler. Like, we we need guy, we need to schedule some guys punching for a few minutes. What do we do? There's a certain vindication I feel to like how um how much of a footnote the gang wars become. Like they tried to like like Vince Rune says you're trying to do this whole like edgy thing and it just like amounted to nothing and they have to implicitly admit that to, to their audience and be like our big yikes thing just fucking flopped. Like nobody even cares anymore. Yep. It it's remembered as like the worst one of the worst parts of the early attitude era. Yeah. Finally, our last point is in reference more to this episode is the Mike Tyson situation. Uh, for the last few weeks, they've, they've been hyping up Mike Tyson. He's going to be at the Royal Rumble. We even got Don fucking King on, on Raw hyping up Don, Mike Tyson. So. Oh. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. You mentioned that last week. Yep. Yeah. So he, so he, he does show up at the Royal Rumble and is, and he's he there in a, like a skybox watching the show. They cut to him every once in a while, and and he famously after the Royal Rumble win for Stone Cold, he goes, he, he's like celebrating, he's like yeah, man, I, I love Cold Stone. <laughs> <laughs> he calls Stone Cold Stone for, for a few. My days. my favorite, my favorite uh, creamery. Yes. Old, Old Stone, Austin Steve won the Royal Rumble. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, so he that happened. But in addition, they're also also they advertise that Mike Tyson is going to be here 
this week, and they're going to make a big announcement for what for Mike for for WrestleMania regarding Mike Tyson. So at this point, it's known that Mike Tyson is going to be involved at WrestleMania, and I feel and again as I mentioned last week, it kind of harkens back to a lot of what they were doing in the or in their first WrestleManias in the mid '80s, getting uh, Cindy Lauper and uh, Mr. T involved in the first WrestleMania to kind of generate buzz and interest outside of in the mainstream media. Mm-hmm. This time using Mike Tyson, who is a, you know, a popular and controversial figure. And, yeah, right. I was going to say right now, very controversial. Yes, this is this is when he is banned from boxing for this biting a ear bite. It is. So it's very controversial figure at this point in time, which is perfect for WWE's super edgy programming at the time. Hmm. It's a match made in heaven, really. Truly. Yeah, so that is our uh, show recap. Um, I guess I could, if I wanted to, I could uh, mention Jerry Lawler for a few minutes if I wanted to. But, uh, <laughs> if I wanted to. No. I mean, I guess I could. Uh, I could mention, like, the one line I sent you if you want. Uh, go for it. Yeah, so, like, yeah, we understand that, you know, I understand that, you know, Jerry Lawler, this is what he's doing at this point in time. He's being gross to women. It's a, it, it not, I'm not to say it doesn't, it, not to say that it like so much of it has happened that it just kind of doesn't register with my brain anymore, but it doesn't feel worth bringing up every time. Except, no. except this time. Uh, a couple weeks uh, ago, uh, he mentioned in, in his normal, he mentioned, he makes a joke about, um, you know, he has that he has no problem get, being with uh being seen with younger women except when he drops them off at school. That's that, which is a whole lot of yikes already. Except if you want to make this worse, and I will. Um, in 1993, Jerry Lawler pretty famously had some legal trouble where he was accused of uh raping and sodomizing an underage teenage girl. Yikes. That went nowhere after the accuser recanted her statement. But that happened, and four years later, he's making that joke on commentary. (laughs) And it's like, really? I mean, I'm not surprised. That guy's as tactless as a fucking empty corkboard. Yes, it's disgusting. And I think that's the perfect time to cut off our front half. Sure! Yeah, so we're gonna watch the uh, we're gonna watch this episode of Monday Night Raw, and we'll see you guys in the back half. Yeah. And we are back. Um, we have uh, just finished our um, uh, watch of the January nineteenth, nineteen ninety eight episode of Monday Night Raw. That was that was an interesting one. Um, I'm I uh, there there was a there was like a lot there was a lot going on. Um, that was. It all it all kind of like felt low key in its own way and all kind of very self contained. But like, it, there was there was some like kind of fun, interesting stuff uh, happening throughout. Um, I, I this is this this is kind of one of those episodes that feels like um, um, it's just it's 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 like there and you can pop it on. There's just kind of a whole lot going on. You could jump in at any point and just be like, oh, okay, this is happening now. That's cool. Yeah, I, I think it was a pretty enjoyable watch overall. Yeah, no. Uh, uh, there, there were some. There, I mean, I mean, like it's 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 one of those things. Like I, I've realized there have been a lot of episodes where I've said, like, man, it feels like not really a whole lot happens here. And this, in a way, kind of felt like another one of those episodes. But I'm 
I'm almost wondering if I need to kind of like reframe how I look at episodes like that in my mind where it's like just because it doesn't have like some gigantic like overarching whatever that leads to like some um some big earth shattering moment Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that it's like it's not worth the watch um like i've been spoiled on episodes like the pipe bomb promo uh and and the the uh the mark henry fake out retirement and stuff like that um but this one even though it kind of had the same vibes of of like uh of other episodes where i've said it doesn't feel like a lot's happening here i'm starting to respect more just like the the you know this the little self-contained things that are just kind of happening all over um that that kind of all are their own thing that you can kind of jump on board whenever you want yeah i mean i think every, i think uh i think this episode did a did a little like little things for a lot of stuff i don't really think any may uh, there one kind of major development i mean there were there were a few kind of major developments mm-hmm. um uh, the 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 two biggest being well I guess one of them is not even development two biggest being um you know Mike Tyson at the end uh and then um um and then the search for the Undertaker oh my how did I accidentally put two different storylines going of like where the Undertaker is missing how do how did I pull that one off I that was not intended I, I love the I I love the uh, um um i i love like the the running pattern here of like why are we just always looking for the undertaker <laughs> like ever ever like ugh. at least we're not at least i don't have to listen to like construction workers talking about the seeing the undertaker in a six foot deep ditch or something that's fair <laughs> and that's- it- I just have to, I just instead get to watch DX kind of like sneak up on a hearse and pull it open and a bunch of like women are in there. <laughs> what the, what was the point of that? I don't know. Okay. The best, okay. So, the, so, so, so for, for, for audiences, um, uh, for audiences benefit, uh, <laughs> there was this hearse that like pulled up and, and fucking, um, Shaw, uh, Degeneration X went to like check it out, and like they were, they were, they were like teasing it, like th- like throughout a decent part of the first half of the episode. And Degen mm-hmm. D- X goes to check it out, and like they're like, oh, it's gonna be the Undertaker, oh, uh, and they open it up, and just all these like women in the back of this mysterious hearse, in all completely, all like as if all like, the back of like a limo, and also reacting as if they were like groupies specifically meant for degeneration acts yeah which like in that case why wouldn't they have been included on this what was the point of any of this i don't understand i know uh honestly my favorite part was when like they drag sean and triple h in with them and then like china's still hanging out outside (laughs) there's this look of like oh my god these idiots again and she just shuts the door i gotta say i i gotta say god i uh once again my favorite part of this episode was Degeneration X and by extension Shawn Michael. And I'm I'm like, man, he's really like less insufferable when he's like when he's a tempered by a group around him to like kind of take some of the spotlight off his dumbass. And also like when it's played more for laughs and not like <laughs> Not like he's a someone to be taken remotely seriously. Yeah, so Shawn Michaels' whole bit for this whole episode is kind of like bragging about having beaten the Undertaker, even though it was Kane that like actually did that. Which, which, 
I just want to point out they they say something about that at one point. They like Degeneration X brags that they took out the Undertaker, and then Jim um, Ross is like, "That was all Kane." That was Kane. like literally the, the announcers rebuked it in real time. Yeah. Um, but but the, yeah, they they pull it off in all these really funny ways. That was yeah. just kind of this entertaining thing throughout the whole episode. Yeah, it was. It's, it's, it starts with them there's in their locker room, kind of bragging about it. But then they're gonna go hunt for the Undertaker that has those skits weren't that great. But it does lead to the funny in a way that is like why this doesn't make sense kind of way with the hearse. I will say, uh, I, I'm just realizing something now. Um, because because. This is this is kind of like slightly going off topic, mm-hmm. but um, I, I was I, I was thinking about what I said just a second ago about um, um, the you know this this episode feeling not as like momentous as some others we've watched, and I was thinking that's kind of funny because there is kind of like this iconic moment at the end, uh, mm-hmm. kind of quickly switching gears to the to the Mike Tyson thing where we have like just utter chaos as Stone Cold Steve Austin and his and his giant ass posse goes off in the middle of a promo with Vince McMahon, uh, Mike Tyson, and Mike Tyson's giant-ass posse, and they get in a giant fight, and it's a whole thing. And I'm like, that should feel like a much more momentous occasion than it is. Why doesn't it? And I realized just now, that's because the time that should have been spent in the episode, like, building up to building up to that moment, was instead D-Generation X going off about The Undertaker. They were building up to the entirely wrong climax. Yeah, the the D, they get a DX gets a lot of time to do this, especially with their like with their their kind of like their climax, which is at the beginning of the second hour, where they come out with um they come out with a barbecue. Well, okay. Well, first they well, come out host thing. Well, no, 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 no. But but Shawn Michaels coming out first. Oh, I forgot about that. It's yeah, like they they tease that it's the Undertaker. And nope, it's actually they, Shawn Michaels. They, they lower the him down today. from the ceiling, like 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 if you like like for for those of you who've seen the SpongeBob movie, it's like the SpongeBob hanging from the wires sort of deal. They like lower him down from the ceiling, and they're like, "Oh shit, it's the Undertaker!" And then like he pulls off like a wig and turns around and starts taking off the Undertaker clothes, and it's fucking Shawn Michaels. <laughs> yeah, so he does that, and then Triple H in China come out with a barbecue and a bag of barbecue stuff including like tongs and they got little chef's hats uh triple h wears a shirt that says uh suck the cook but the but the the u is 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 um in suck is censored out which doesn't even make sense in a way like the the joke doesn't quite land no, it doesn't, because it's like I get it. It's one. I know what it's one letter away from, but also. But you then know, why are we sucking? Why are we censoring the U? Like, yeah, you don't censor out the the. You don't censor out the the right part. To make <laughs> you don't censor the right part to kind of make the joke. Yeah, exactly. It's really funny. Uh, yeah. So, but then they they first do a little bit of of penis related comedy as you do in degeneration x where with a, with a, with a probably transphobic joke and uh, re- regarding china a little bit uh it does play a little bit into the into the um you know misgendering of china because she's a very muscular woman and if if it wasn't dx like if it, if it was anyone other than dx i would definitely assume in kayfabe it's supposed to be a transphobic joke i think this one is just kind of like incidentally okay. <laughs> so much better yeah i don't think i don't think triple h or Shawn michaels in character That's are, fair. Are, are asses about that 
the way yeah, that yeah. other characters who are supposed to be baby faces are, but not the time for that. Yeah. But like Sean, but basically the joke is that like Sean and Triple H pull out these little hot dogs and they're like, we got real jumbo weenies, but hey, so what you're bringing to the party, girl. And, 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 and China brings out a truly gigantic sausage. <laughs> it was so it's obnoxiously large, and and Shawn Michaels spends the rest of the, the spends the rest of the skit like playing around with it. He stuffs in his pants at one point. Yeah, he seriously says waving it around of his pants and like <laughs> otherwise he's do, dicking off with it when Triple H is talking. Uh, uh, dicking off. Uh, uh, yeah. He also Shawn Michaels also they brought, they brought marshmallows too, and Shawn Michaels does a thing where he puts he takes a kebab and he puts a marshmallow, a hot dog, and a marshmallow. There, so it looks like. Oh my god! It it and like oh my god! There's like so much to talk about. Like I, we don't really have time to like talk about all the specifics of what goes down in like all of these Tri- things. Triple, Triple H takes like five minutes to hit on hit on the hit on the random women in the crowd. I know they they chuck the marshmallows into the crowd at one point. No, but basically the whole it, but the point is kind of reiterating what they've been doing all night is the and the barbecue specifically was a joke about how the undertaker was lit on fire so they're yeah. like so they're like how do you like your like they put the undertaker clothes on the barbecue and they're like how do you like your undertaker rare medium or well, well done. done. <laughs> I I I love to like uh that that in that barbecue segment, they were also kind of able to kill two birds with one stone because they spent a lot of it making Undertaker jokes. But then it kind of shifted to Triple H, like clowning on Owen Hart. Yeah, um, and then Shawn Michaels talks about Steve Stone Cold Steve Austin. There's a lot going oh, yeah. on, and that's why I feel like I feel like the skit runs a little too long. But part of that is because they cover a lot of ground, which I appreciate. And I honestly wish this episode would have ended to a payoff to all that rather than the Mike Tyson thing because they were because they they treated like. They they treated like this as the episode spanning arc of D Generation X like fucking around, um, and and you're waiting for them to fuck around and find out, but they never find out. They never like they don't they don't discover anything in related to the Undertaker. You yeah, know the Undertaker doesn't show up. And, so, and, the, and, and the and the and the and the, the Owen Hart and and Stone Cold things are getting tabled for future episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's like damn. Why aren't we do like? I guess it would be kind of cheap to like only a week later or whatever bring back Undertaker, but like, why are we spending the whole ep- the whole episode focusing on this when that's not like what we're gonna end with? Either like do this series of skits and then end with an Undertaker related climax, or cut these out, save them for a different week, and spend the entire episode building up better to Mike Tyson rather than just like every once in a while being like, oh. Oh, is Mike Tyson here? Oh, oh, Mike Tyson's in the building now. Oh, we got Tyson. Yeah, oh. yeah I guess we should go ahead and kind of point to the other major, the 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 the, the episodes um um uh, climax yeah. is that um is it so basically like the whole the the build up is all about like oh shit Mike Tyson he's here at Raw and like for the first hour and forty five minutes of this. A, like they do a thing where they show him coming in the building and then he just kind of like has like random NPC interactions with every with most of the less, rest of the locker room like he talks with the nation of domination and they try to recruit him or he talks with cactus jack and he, cactus jack he does, offers to let him hit him with a barbed wire bat he does talk to djn x at one point yeah he talks to dx and like compares biceps with china and, he, <laughs> and like like they're fine but they're not anything significant and then the end of the last few minutes of the episode is him coming to the ring 
and going for the big announcement of like what he's going to do at WrestleMania. Vince McMahon is there, but it is immediately interrupted by Stone Cold showing up because Stone Cold uh, apparently takes offense to Mike Tyson's nickname, the baddest man on the planet, because in Stone Cold's words, he is the toughest SOB in the world. Yeah, Stone Cold's just kind of pissed that, that Tyson's here. Um, yeah, he is, and and so he picks a fight with with Mike Tyson. It, it kind of culminates with Stone Cold flips him the double bird. So Mike Tyson shoves Steve Austin, and then suddenly Steve Austin's ready to go. <laughs> and and thankfully they have large groups to pull them apart. What gigantic groups? Um, this was another episode that loved its messy endings, which I guess in a way this was like built up to. And that, like, every other, like, major match uh, ended with some sort of messy ending. So, of course, the, the final bit of the episode had to end with the messiest ending. <laughs> yeah, kind of does. I think the least messy ending is the New Age Outlaws match. Yeah. And, yeah, no, that was the only clean ending, I think. All the others were, like... Relatively speaking, they, hit, they still won by hitting a guy with a brick. <laughs> yeah, well... <laughs> but it wasn't, but... like, people storming the arena. We'll come back to that. Yeah, but, we'll get to that later. But yeah, so, and like, it's kind of interesting, like, how relatively, un- like, it's just one of those moments, like, it's one of those moments that doesn't, like, in by itself seem super important. Doesn't, it doesn't always, it doesn't always get framed as super important, but like, this is obviously a superly important historical moment. Yeah. Of that's, that's why I picked this episode, was this is the episode where Stone Cold tries to pick a fight with Mike Tyson. Yeah. Like that was that was a headline grab. Like they weren't kidding. That was a headline grabbing kind of a moment. Yeah, no, I mean, I got them attention. I appreciate what they were going for, and I'm sure, like, I'm sure, like, in the context of the day, like, if you're watching it back then, like, that was that was freaking huge, and I can certainly appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Um, it just it's just kind of funny, like, analyzing it now from a storytelling perspective of like, yeah, why like, weren't you focusing on this for more of the episode? Because like, because like they kind of make reference to it, um, but. Stone Cold being pissed about Tyson being there isn't really built up to in any sort of meaningful way. He's just kind of like, he's just kind of like, you come on to my turf. Yeah. I gotta kick your ass. Yeah. They, they save Stone Cold for the end. I think as, as kind of like a, to like, to kind of build that up is because they spend just as much time advertising that Stone Cold will appear as they do that Mike Tyson will appear. Yeah. It's like you know what the inevitable conclusion of this is going to be, right? But there, but so other. Well, that also means that, like, from a story analysis, they don't like Stone Cold just kind of shows up for no reason, for no. Uh, there's no build up to Stone Cold showing up. To, yeah, I in know. In terms of like, why is he picking a fight with Austin? Yeah, which again, I, I guess in the context of the day, you didn't need to do that as much. And um, if I want to be a bit of a snarky asshole about it, what was Stone Cold scheduled to do? Like, if you're advertising, he is still to come, but he isn't in kayfabe supposed to show up when Mike Tyson does. What was he supposed to do? I, I, th- like, I, I just love the fact that WWF, WWE has no internal consistency about stuff like this. Mm-hmm. Where, like, where they'll build up, like, just, just their schedule if you think about it the in kayfabe schedule makes no fucking sense no, it's an absolute mess i know it's a giant meme for us at this point to talk about it to talk about this on this show but it just it just still cracks me up like like how 
unconnected everything kind of is like how sloppy in kayfabe this organization's run if you really <laughs> think about it yeah, vince mcmahon is terrible at putting these shows together <laughs> no he just gets really lucky week after week he's just but, like if i sit here and let these clowns come out with 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 microphones something will happen and i can have something nice uh, fall into my lap yep <laughs> the wwe authority figures just kind of let stuff fall yeah. into their laps <laughs> These episodes schedule themselves. Yeah, which Vince does have a small part to play in this episode. And when his absolutely cartoony, like after while the fight's breaking up, he yells at Stone Cold, You ruined it! You ruined it, damn it! He doesn't explain what it is, but he's like, You ruined it, damn it! I assume we're supposed to use context clues to say it's his relationship to Mike Tyson. Yeah, in 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 story, it's kind of supposed to be like like Vince thinks that like this abs this little shit show is basically like put Mike Tyson off to being in the WWF, which like I wouldn't blame him. I wouldn't blame him. It doesn't, but you know, <laughs> I would I wouldn't blame him. But like a- a- now that we know the story, it feels weird for him to be like you ruined it. And it's like well he didn't really ruin anything. If anything, I think Mike Tyson got more excited to be here. <laughs> I, yeah, I was gonna say for for as controversial a figure as he as he was slash is. Uh, it is kind of adorable how like excited Tyson seems to be seems to be to be here. He's just like he's just like he seems like so into it. He's like he's like yeah, I get to branch out and do something new. This is great. Yeah, um, and and he seems like and I I don't want to gatekeep celebrities who show up and who aren't like real wrestling fans. I don't really care about that, <laughs> but I do appreciate that Mike Tyson at least sounded like he was a legitimate fan, both in terms of like his enthusiasm. And then when like Vince is like, who's your favorite wrestler? He names Bruno San Martino and Nikolai Volkov, who are both wrestlers who haven't been in the WWE for at least like a couple of decades. Mm-hmm. So it fits this timeline of like, he loved it as a kid. As a kid, Yeah. Yeah. Like those are names that like, he would have been familiar with them if he was watching the WWF in like the early in the sixties and seventies when he was a younger person, when he was younger, like, so that fits. And like, I thought that was neat. Like he doesn't so, name, he doesn't name anybody who like is currently wrestling. Yeah, no, which I, which like, you know, I'd like to think like they're, they're like being truthful here and, and saying like, mm-hmm. you know, his relationship to WWE, like or WWF prior to this, Mm-hmm. Um, but like, even if they're not, I, I have respect for the fact that he's being like such a professional about this. He's like, he's, he's here to, um, to, he's, he's playing the part well. And, and for a guy who's never really stepped into WWE before, who's, who's, um, prior, you know, sports entertainment experience does not involve this level of like acting and performative, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, he's, he's jumping right into, to kind of being in character and, 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 he feels like a natural fit already, which I, which I, I really respect, um, you know, from the guy kind of indicates, you know, solid, uh, work ethic on his part, which is, you know, nice turnaround from him, you know, biting someone's fucking ear. Yeah. Like I, I do appreciate, I appreciate, like, I think Mike Tyson does a really good job both in this and in the storyline going forward. I think he, he does really, he's really, uh, engaging character in his own right. Yeah. And no. he does feel like a natural fit <laughs> to and, what they're doing here. And I mean, Stone Cold is a really is is a really good like wrestler to pair him up with. Like you know mm-hmm. you got at your two big superstars kind of obviously, um, but also like you know the way that they set up this feud and the fact that Stone Cold's pissed that like that like he's just waltzing in here and currying favor with McMahon or whatever. Um, 
it, it does it and does kind of still fit with Stone Cold's character and and makes for makes for an interesting clash. It doesn't feel like bland just we're chucking these two people together because they're famous. Yeah, and it's and it's another it's like this is literally the night after Stone Cold Steve Austin won the Royal Rumble. So like if anything this should be his big night and then like it's all and all they're everyone's talking about is Mike Tyson. Yeah. Which again, I wish they'd built that up more cuz I yeah, wanted they, to have like more and and again, I'm I'm Rest, uh, no pun intended. I'm wrestling with this because I understand that to an extent, like I'm missing the context of being a fan in this era where this would probably be a lot more intuitive to me. Um, but again, if WWE at the same time wants to have the philosophy of uh, treat every show like it's someone's first and they like have no real build up to this being the, the kind of headliner of the show, aside mm-hmm. from just a bunch of like announcements that like these two guys are going to show up at some point. Um, I just, damn, I wish, I wish there were, um, I, I wish there were, there were more in this episode to cover than just those last kind of like seven minutes, mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to this topic. Yeah. I, th- I think you could have absolutely done a bit more of a, a clear, like through line through the story, through the, through the night and kind of made it, uh, make more narrative, kind of be more engaging narratively and not just like the one moment that happens but then again i guess all you needed was the moment yeah that's fair for as much as we're like nitpicky trying to do some some writing analysis here didn't really matter yeah they got their moment and everyone ate it up and 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 yeah and i respect that and they got their headlines out of it and Mm -hmm. cool enough um um it's it's just me, you know, being a nerd and griping or whatever. But yeah, cool, cool moment in and of itself. And again, I don't mind that like the time that in in a way should have been filled with build up to that was filled with Gen X being a bunch of clowns. That was that was fun too. Mm-hmm. Um, but kind of like going to all the stuff that happened in the middle of it. This was such an interesting episode, and like, and it's another one of those where the the matches felt so secondary to what was going on. Uh, like kind of behind the scenes as it were if any of them took longer than five minutes i'd be surprised i don't think any of them did all the matches were over well honestly the longest one felt like the felt like the uh um uh the 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 godwins versus new age outlaws yeah a little bit i'm I'm gonna see if i can i can uh do a quick google here and see if i can uh see something that lets me know what the um uh, what the match links are can't guarantee i'm gonna find it in the meantime oh okay yes got it all right so the matches uh chain skull and eight ball uh the disciples of apocalypse uh they fought uh the nation of domination to a double disqualification in four minutes and 41 seconds (laughs) mark marrow beat tom brandy in three minutes and 30 seconds i completely forgot that match happened oh god (laughs) Like I, I was trying to think through the matches and I didn't even remember it. I, I'd forget if I hadn't taken a note of it. Yeah, the Quebecers beat Cactus Jack and K- Chainsaw Charlie by DQ in three minutes sixteen seconds. Jeff Jarrett beat Bradshaw to retain the NWA North American Heavyweight Championship in three minutes forty one seconds. Owen Hart, Takamichinoku, and the Headbangers beat Los Bariquas in three minutes and one second. The Rock beat Ahmed Johnson for the Intercontinental Championship in 2 minutes 43 seconds. 
And then the New Age Outlaws beat the Godwins for the WWF Tag Team Championships in 4 minutes 53 seconds. So that was actually the longest match on the show. That was the longest. That one, that one, yeah, that one was the longest, which is kind of a shame because that was like one of the least interesting ones. No, yeah, it was also, it was, that was probably one of the least engaging matches on the whole show. Yeah, no, which like, there were some interesting parts of it again, like New Age Outlaws, they, they like dressed up to mock the Godwins and like they had a stuffed pig that they'd stuffed a fucking brick inside. Yeah, and they Um, didn't have to win the match. um, But... But, like, it was kind of like, it was just, you know, kind of a bit of brutalism from the Godwins and the New Age Outlaws just kind of being standard in how they and how they fought. So it's kind of unfortunate when the other matches, the really short ones, were the ones with the most potential to be really engaging. I mean, um, uh, Rock, uh, Rock versus um, Ahmed, um, Johnson, Ahmed, yeah. Ahmed Johnson. Um, that, I mean, what we got of it was was a lot of fun. Um, partially because uh, we had fucking Mark Henry coming out to to be Mark Henry about it in the middle of the match, which is to, which is to say he came out and was just kind of wrecking shit in the background to help out his buddy. Yeah, and I want to say that like I don't really I don't know if you could say that this is like real development in the Nation of Dominations plot, but I do see a very there's something there's like there's a kind of an interesting subtlety here in that like the first the there's two matches with the Nation and you have. Farouk, Kama, and D'Lo, who are kind of like the core of the Nation of Domination as we know them. And then the other match was The Rock, who is the new guy and almost and almost like an interloper. And Mark Henry, the guy The Rock brought in. Yeah. So there's, there's these, the battle lines have almost been drawn. It's, it's I, I mean, for as much as the Nation of Domination kind of has like nothing to do anymore with the, with the race war, um, they 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 are finding their own ways to still kind of stay story relevant, um, but it, but 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 again, that was like the shortest match, and like why? That's a waste of your rock. That's a waste of your Ahmed Johnson. It was cool to have Mark Henry there, but in a way, it's then by extension a waste of your Mark Henry. Yeah, like, like it was also the the story beats are literally the same as what they do at the at the end of the the DOA uh, um, Nation match. It goes to a double DQ. Everyone be punching. The Rock and Mark Henry show up late to help out, and then Ken Shamrock and Ahmed Johnson run down <laughs> to help to to even the odds, and then and then. Basically, the Rock Ahmed Johnson match ends the exact same way, but without the DOA or the rest of the nation. Yeah, so it ends in a two-on-two fight as opposed to a five-on-five. But the same, but it hits the exact same story beats twice. I will say, I, I I do appreciate how just how mad the Shamrock looked during that match. Oh no, Shamrock is an absolute expert at looking like a, a crazed, angry maniac. He was going off, dude. It was hysterical. Um, yeah, which like. It's, it's just so interesting, like, how sometimes, there are sometimes some of these episodes where, like, you wouldn't think this was a fucking fighting show with how, like, little they give a shit about some of their fights. Um, this is one of them where, like, man, you have a lot of, like, you have a lot of interesting stuff kind of going for you here with, with, with all these matches set up, and you do so little with them. Um, another, the other really egregious example being um, uh, Owen Hart, Talking Mishinoku, Headbangers, versus uh the Bariquas, Los Bariquas. Um I literally don't even know what that was why that match exists. Like, me I, neither. Like it literally at like Owen Taka and the Headbangers haven't been a group. 
Like, it's not like they've been friends before. Do they have anything to do with the with Los Bariquas? Not really. Um, they have the fucking honky tonk man on commentary. On commentary for some reason, which, which as, oh, which, which as I pointed out on the broadcast, he's like a third. He's like third degree away, a third degree rivalry with Takamishinoku because. Takamishinoku is kind of in an eternal feud with Brian Christopher for over the light heavyweight championship, which Brian Christopher is Jerry Lawler's son. So Jerry Lawler is frequently fighting with uh, Takamishinoku. And the honky tonk man is Jerry Lawler's cousin. So he's kind of here just to disparage Taka. See, Austin called it third degree. I joked that I joked with that family tie. It's third degree once removed. Um, uh, yeah. But, but like, it's a shame too because, like, A, like, what the fuck are the headbangers here? Uh, Great question. They did nothing. Uh, second of all, God, this this really is the beginning of the end for Owen Hart. Like, like really, we're just chucking him in there in like a random ass like four on four team up. And at the end, he does a great job, kind of promoing about like I'm coming, you, I'm coming for you next, Triple H. But again, we know with with our you know magical foresight of existing, you know, fucking. 24 25 years or 23 years later jesus 98 i should yep uh we we know with the magical forces that are existing 23 years later that this just like spirals out um and it's already spiraling from it's already already spiraling we're already going down from like Shawn michaels and the wwf championship to triple h and the european champion which like i said Hart does a good job at selling the series, like still making it feel like serious and legit but it just it's just sad knowing that it spirals out and then Poor Taka is one of is of this era one of the WWF's single most physically talented performers ever, um, and he's he's given fuck all to do in this. Like he like the little time he is in the ring, he does get to show off, but it's 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 uh, depressingly little. Yeah, um, like okay, WWE just straight up didn't give a fuck about the light heavyweight championship. They introduced it because because in over in WCW land, they WCW was getting critically rave reviews for their cruiserweight division that was legitimately kind of like groundbreaking stuff in terms of like what you could do athletically in a wrestling ring in America. Basically, the WCW formula was for that division was take all the best guys you can find in Mexico and all the best guys you can find in Japan and just let them go. And it worked. And so the light heavyweight division almost felt like a weird attempt at combating that, except they only ever had two people in that division regularly, Taka Mishinoku and Brian Christopher. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) Which like the, the the thing that the thing that cracks me up, and this is kind of I guess tangenty, but to, but but kind of while we're on the subject, the thing that cracks me up about stuff like this, and and also kind of tangentially the the, the Owen Hart thing, is Vince McMahon's propensity for very selective um, eye for potential, um, because in some respects he knows when to grab an opportunity by the balls and squeeze. Like this Mike Tyson thing, he he got a great idea and he lapped it up and it worked out well for him. But at the same time, you have things like you, you like like talking in between the you know new generation through Attitude Era. You have things like how he treated the heart uh, the Hart Foundation with um with uh you know Bret Hart being his kind of like default for when his like 
Neo Hulk Hogan's always ended up failing instead of just going, oh, wait, Bret Hart's awesome and everybody loves him. So we should just make him our new kind of like main character um, to now Owen Hart getting screwed over uh, in a zillion different ways because we feel like uh, sucking Shawn Michaels dick more, I guess, um, to Takamishinoku again, one of his single most talented wrestlers, if not his most talented wrestler of this era. Um, being there, getting to show off all this awesome stuff, and Vince doing barely jack with him. Um, it, it's because, like, sometimes he's able to recognize that a thing's there and really go for it. Sometimes he throws a thing in there, and it's so clearly really, really good, but he just kind of ignores that it exists, and the writers ignore that it exists. Um, and it leads to these really disappointing things of, um, of man, we're presented with these really tantalizing new things um uh new 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 ideas new uh new visuals new opportunities uh what have you um and just nothing comes of them because for some reason the writers just the writers and vince don't recognize how much potential lies in there and instead they kind of want to keep running with their safe usual formula and it's so frustrating to watch Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I am very familiar with this concept. But yeah, and like, like to kind of go back to the Taka thing, like I'm not saying WCW's cruiserweight division wasn't perfect in that it kind of ran to a similar problem of like they created this glass ceiling for the cruiserweights of like, okay, you, you can go out there and like be athletically awesome or whatever, but you're never like going to be like a top star. Like that's, that's reserved for the Hulk Hogan's of the world, brother. But at least they got a spotlight of some kind. Takamishinoku doesn't even really get that. Which is so annoying. And 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 the, the worst part is is that the way he gets a spotlight is through the lens of Jerry fucking Lawler. Yes! Like, his greatest rival here is Jerry Lawler and his dipshit <laughs> And his, his dipshit fail son. <laughs> Was like what? What disrespect, dude? Which? Oh God! I, it's 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 yeah. It's it's so sad to watch, and I'm glad I'm glad that Taka went on to have a fruitful like career outside of this. But Jesus Christ, how can Vince, on one hand, be able to tap so much potential out of something that just kind of like you know vaguely presents himself, and he's able to like expand on it greatly, but then other things are so clearly gift wrapped for him to like to make something extraordinary out of to mold into into what could be like era defining um stars and moments um but instead he's just kind of like oh that's a thing here you go i'm not going to pay attention to it bye i don't know if i if i could understand the mind of vince mcmahon on some occasion, yeah it's true <laughs> that would true. be great um, i mean yeah we're kind of working through the match, uh, kind of, I guess we keep working through the matches, or we could talk about Kane, I think, I guess, one or the other. Oh, yeah, we should definitely, we should definitely touch on Kane. Okay, uh, so, kind of the show opens with uh, the first fake-out of The Undertaker, where first Paul Bearer comes out and gives this very uh, monologue, lengthy monologue, monologue, about, that basically explains what happened, explains the story Which- of The and and what happened at the pay-per-view it drags a little bit but i appreciate the continuity 
Yeah, basically explaining that, like, all of these little bits where Kane and The Undertaker were seemingly get along. Haha, <laughs> that was all to lull Undertaker in a false sense of security. It was all part of the plan. Whoops-a-doodle. And then, like, and then they wheel out, and then, and then we get The Undertaker entrance, where they where the druids wheel out the undertake the casket the undertaker was in ostensibly it's the undertaker nope it's kane kane pops out yeah so as i mentioned earlier yeah they do they do the undertaker entrance fake out twice <laughs> yeah which like again why are you gonna do that if you don't pay it off at the end of the episode i don't want to like yeah the undertaker the doesn't show up yeah like I, again, I get not wanting to blow your load too early, like, right after you kill them off, but why are we, like, making this such a focus of the episode? It it, it feels empty to just kind of, like, leave it at that. I feel like if you do it once with Kane, it's fine. Yeah, exactly. But then you have to do it again with Shawn Michaels. It feels like you should have more of a payoff at that point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, especially because it, it, again, comes back a third time with the Shawn Michaels, like, pretending to be the Undertaker thing. Um, oh yeah, but, I forgot about the hearse. I wasn't yeah. really even considering the hearse fake out, but yeah, that's there too. So like, you just keep recom doing these fake outs about the Undertaker with no yeah. payoff, as opposed to if you just do it like one which, time, it's it'd be no one would it wouldn't be a problem. Which wait a minute, I just realized something. What the hell was Degeneration X pointing at in the locker room if it wasn't the Undertaker? Did they ever explain that? I fucking forgot about that. No, okay, so the the first half, the end of the first half has a hour has a cliffhanger, where like they're just chatting in the locker room, and suddenly they like point up at a thing that is that it is in our point of view, so we can't see it, and then the lights go out, which is again, it's implied that's the Undertaker. Both because they're pointing up, so, you know, Undertaker's tall, and the lights go out. and But then, like, no, then we just go straight to the under the gag of the of Shawn Michaels portraying the Undertaker and the barbecue. Which, like, they never, like, maybe it's it was, like, pre-planned on D-Gen X's part to, like, fuck with the that audience. Feel, that feels too complicated for them, to be honest. Yeah, I was gonna say, I don't think they're smart enough to do that. Like even and even if they are, that's not their style. Their style is like pointing at their dicks. They they're not like they're not doing these like they're not fake, They're not doing these complicated fake outs. Well, apparently they are because we have Shawn Michaels dressed up as the Undertaker, lowering from the fucking ceiling. But like, what what I, I it just doesn't make sense. Like like if again, it's one of those like things that like if you think about it in kayfabe for more than two seconds, it's like it's like it's Schrodinger's kayfabe. It exists like like kayfabe is there but also like it, it in order for it to like actually function with how it's written half the time you have to like understand the meta narrative yeah no it, it just does not thanks vince russo which by the way he's on this episode he was that was a weird little <laughs> promo just, yeah we, we get to see one of his advertisements uh, i've never really explained I've never, I've never explained his backstory fully but he basically got his start in the WWF as the editor in chief at WWF magazine and like and then kind of like kind of worked his way up from there into being like the head writer <laughs> and so like he appears in this commercial where there was in like this black and white like they're doing all these camera cuts it's supposed to look cool man and he's he's in his like Vic Venom, which is his his um, pseudonym for when he was working as the editor in chief. Mm -hmm. Which two things? 
two things about this. First of all, a fucking chorus he made his pseudonym Vic Goddamn Venom. Yeah, um, like, like name name something that's more on brand for Vince Russo. I'll wait. But also, like, I just I when when he popped up and Austin pointed out, like, hey, that's Vince Russo. I had two reactions. One, huh. That's not, like, what I anticipated Vince Russo to look like. Because, like, he's got, like, this weird... He's got, like, slick back hair and this kind of, like, scruffy, like, beard. Uh, and he's wearing shades and shit. And, like, I don't know what my mental image of, of Vince Russo was, but it wasn't, like, this guy who LARPs as an actual, like, badass. Um, <laughs> but, like, 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 I imagine, like, I imagine, like, a particularly devious suit, right? Like a like a oh god a, no I can't even imagine Vince Russo wearing a suit Jeez. yeah no like, I, just, like just trying to imagine doesn't work like I like like I was I was thinking like you know he's in the writers room so he's so you know he's he's like he's like a corporate you know he's like a corporate whatever um but he's particularly devious and a particularly like good writer so he's got a, he's got kind of got this like you know mwahaha internal dark side that he brings out for his friend but no here he's just like larping as a total like you know. Uh, 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 Neo from from uh, Matrix, Edge Lord, um, which as which like after I made the first observation of, huh, that's not what I pictured him to look like. My second observation was, but also that is that's really fitting for Vince Russo considering his writing. Yeah, he he, I think it fits, but he, um. I think we've we've hit the canes. I think we've hit all the majorist character beats. I guess yeah, I know. Well, just like the, the the sad thing about the cane stuff is like is like he doesn't get like a, much to do on this episode for like because like damn, I just want I well it's it's I say sad because it's sad for me because I always want reasons to talk about Kane and I don't really have much to talk about here. He just kind of no. shows up. Cool. No. No, they're 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 kind of their part in all this was pretty it was a little perfunctory. It was kind of like, all right, we're doing like we're gonna do the we're the gonna remind line. the audience that like this is what's going on and stuff. Yeah, and then that's that with no payoff. Uh, um, but like it all the all the other stuff again. It's it, it's all like kind of like smaller and self contained. But there were there were fun things to each of them to an mm -hmm. extent. You know, like a God every pretty much every fight ending with a messy ending was all kind of like uh 90s chaos attitude era yeah. extreme um yeah uh, i think I, the most straight up I, re, I, I i retract what i said earlier the most straight up match was mark marrow and tom brandy which had oh that's no true. shenanigans that was no sh well we had sable kind of being shenanigany on the side but like, yeah but like that that match is, is as i made it was the most above board as I made a joke to David, this time period, Mark Marrow's greatest rival is Tom Brandy, and that is a condemnation if I've ever seen him. Because <laughs> um, Tom Brandy's just like this weird random jobber that for some reason gets like major story beats. Sometimes. Yeah, he has never, he, I don't think he ever Not has a story, I don't think he has ever has a storyline before or after this. None that I can remember. Yeah. Um, but like, you As know. Him being like the great defender of Sable's uh uh, abil sexuality and ability to show off her body as she pleases. <laughs> the, Mark Marrow, my the observation I made to Austin while we were watching this about Mark Marrow is like it's like with Mark Marrow, they took one of like Randy Savage's defining character traits and decided, hey, what if we just turn this into a whole character and see how it works? And it, it just it just does not like 
it's it's entertaining in just like the utter chaos of him constantly trying to like slut shame Sable, and the um, and the and the many many ways he tries. Yeah, and the many ways he tries, and the many ways it's Sable's like, no, oh, fuck you. Like he definitely doesn't get repetitive <laughs> in his attempts to like do. To, to pull it's this very, off. I will give him credit. Unique visual gags every time. Yep. But it's it's so one note, and it's just like, why are we insisting that this like, is a thing that people need to watch? And it goes the same way every time. It's not like we're having a great payoff to Sable. This payoff, the the large payoff of him of her standing up to him is coming, but like every single week, it plays out the same way. Of like, he does a thing. And he either fa- it either costs him as a wrestler, like he end up losing matches because of it, or his wife manages to circumvent it anyway. And that's the thing his his like his main character conflict is so self contained that he feels detached from everything else going around him to the point where it just feels like one of the writers just had some sort of weird sexual neurosis that he that he needed to like get out there by forcing an audience to watch like happen or have a watch a dramatized version of the thing go down every week in order yeah, for him to like, feel better about it and like he does get heat in the way that like of course this the audience is gonna boo him because because he's making the hot woman go away <laughs> but like it never pay they never like parlay that into anything like this is gonna keep building until eventually sable beats him up and then after that it just kind of goes kerplunk after she leaves him and also kicks his ass. Yeah. So it's it, not it's not like all the fact that you can get him to get boo so easily is building to anything. Yeah, no. I it's, it is it's, very it's it's self-contained like you Yeah, said. he feels he feels disconnected and it's just like again, who's who which writer just like is venting indirectly through the character of Mark Romero? Who is he supposed to represent? Because this is <laughs> this has nothing to do with anything else going around him. Um <laughs> So like yeah, that's a thing. Um, uh, at the very least, hey, at least it takes some of the focus off Lawler being gross to women. So sure, yeah. Um, 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 and then we had the Quebecers, which, as, as I mentioned to David, I can't even believe they were on this episode. I didn't even remember they made this comeback. Yeah, no, I they the Quebecers did not like were not at all what I pictured them to be when Austin described them in the generation. As I, as I, to be fair, they look completely different. But, like, I don't know. But, like, the way I imagine them, like, you know, I imagine these, like, you know, these uppity, decked out, you know, uh, French pricks that, I mean, are, that have, like... I mean- I mean, I, I think in the new in the new generation, they kind of wear these like quasi Mountie Union outfits, and I think it. Yeah. And you have Johnny Polo, who dresses exactly like a guy who sounds like his name is Johnny Polo, and I think that plays a lot more into what you're thinking of. Whereas in this yeah. episode, they're wearing like tank tops and and sweatpants. And they yeah, they look like they they honestly to me they almost look like like a discount uh discount heart foundation in a way. Mm-hmm. Um. Just like less, less everything. Um, you know, can we can can we have Heart Foundation, Mom? Now we have Heart Foundation at home. Um, <laughs> the Heart Foundation, home. The Quebecers. Yeah, I don't. Know, I think I think it's like similar because because like because like they kind of have the similar kind of like long blonde hair or whatever. Um, yeah, um, and they 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 get a match with Cactus Jack and Chainsaw Charlie, which which were the which were far more which are which were far more interesting. To watch and deserved a far better match than with the random ass slumming at Quebecers. Yeah, I don't even understand this because like it's I don't even know if they if the Quebecers ever come back. 
I, I am fairly certain they do not have a lengthy storyline with Cactus Jack and Chainsaw Charlie, which makes it weird that it kind of seems like they should, based on the way they wrote this match, where, like, the match ends because because uh, Cactus Jack uh, tries to interfere to help out Charlie. And eventually, the, and the ref is like, no, dude, this is a, there are rules. You can't just jump in the match whenever you want. And mm-hmm. so Cactus Jack is like, fuck that. And he, like, chokes out the ref. <laughs> the ref goes down and it's awesome and so that obviously leads to the match being thrown out and there's almost like an extended brawl over this yeah i know the more more refs show up and they keep fighting and it's a lot of fun until eventually till eventually uh uh was it was it was it cactus jack and chainsaw charlie that cactus, ca- cactus jack brought out brought out his oh yeah that wrapped in barbed wire and that and, 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 and was like we're out like we 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 ain't paid enough for this. We're leaving. <laughs> yeah, you better walk away. Um, yeah, no, but like it's it's the thing that's fun for me there is like Mick Foley is obviously hugely entertaining. There's a reason he has like the reputation he does, and there's a reason he's as like well liked as he is. Uh, he's hugely entertaining, and Chainsaw Charlie was kind of a fun addition to his uh to his act that matches his crazy. Honestly, in a way, um. I don't want to like be too forced or anything, mm-hmm. but like um, Cactus Jack and Chainsaw Charlie here almost feel like a proto Brody Lee and oh fuck, who's the other guy? Um, uh, Eric Rowan. Eric Rowan, yeah, they almost feel like a proto Brody Lee and Eric Rowan, like a little more off the rails than they were, mm-hmm. um, but kind of that similar vibe of just like we're these two kind of fucking wild dudes who will just go off and and wreck shit because we feel like it, uh, mm-hmm. and and you know fuck the rules. Um, no, I see that. Um, and I, I honestly, I do think this is kind of an entertaining little act. Uh, you know, Terry Funk doesn't stick around for too, too long. I don't really, which is a shame because he's, he's, he's physically, he's physically entertaining to watch. Oh um, yeah. His ridiculous sell of like they hit him. And he, 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 he takes the hit to in the corner turnbuckle and he like does like a rotation and a half around the ring before he falls over. It's literally like, it literally reads like a, like a, like a Buster Keaton act or something mm-hmm. like, like, like silent era level physical slapstick. Physical, no, it, physical it, slapsticks were done. In yeah. It's fantastic. And yeah. And it, it's a shame we don't get more of them. No, nah, he's he he kind of he doesn't he only sticks around for a couple more months after this, and he only just showed up. I don't yeah, think, but I don't I don't really know the reason for why that. But at least at least at least at least you know at least we know Mick Foley has like a f- insanely like thriving career. To oh, this day. he does. Yes, and he and he'll get a bigger spotlight in the WWE eventually. We're oh, not yeah. we're not going to get that far in tonight. And and and. I mean, I mean, we already, we already, in a way, spent an entire episode talking about him with the with the Christmas special. To- yeah, oh yes, I'll get old Santa Claus. Yeah, I know. I, it's as 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 a side note. Um, I I have finally like been watching through Avatar: The Last Airbender. Um, and whenever whenever I get an episode that has the boulder in it, I just get so happy because I'm like, I know who that is, yeah. and it just. I'm Mick just like Mick Foley doing his best impression of The Rock, <laughs> and it's awesome. Um, I it, it makes it makes me really really happy. Um, just because again, you can tell he's one of those guys that's so into it, and it's just kind of you know, he he he'll he'll roll with whatever, and he he's highly dedicated to what he does, and he seems like he's a he's a really cool guy, and like um, he's just he's just fun. Um, so 
that I I love me some Mick Foley, so I was I was here for that match. That was a, that was a cool one. Yeah. Um, even if even if um the Quebecers were a whole lot of nothing and it lasted for like fucking three minutes. Speaking of a whole lot of nothing and lasting for three minutes, uh, the final match is Jeff Jarrett and Bradshaw. Jeff Jarrett and Brad. I mean. I mean, I have basically the same thing to say about this one as I did when we were in the new generation. Man, Jeff Jarrett's a physically talented wrestler, and he's fun to watch, uh, but damn, he has no personality. Yeah, he's, he's very boring. And as I as I mentioned to David, I just don't understand this whole NWA angle. Like, we talked about it. I don't either. Thing, it doesn't make talk- any sense. Like, and it's it's completely disconnected from anything else. It is like it doesn't it doesn't fit into any sort of like tournament or title structure that's going on that's going on like anywhere else. It, it it's just kind of there. And again, why are we even forcing it to be here if the NWA is a dying brand anyway? Like, what's the point? And it, and it's not and it's not something the that the WWF audience is clamoring for. Yeah, like, and it's not and like it, they were obligated to do this or anything. Yeah, no, I I. Like and 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 like WWF doesn't even have a historical connection with the NWA. They are historically rivals. Like, and the NWA was born out of uh, excuse me, WCW was born out of the dying embers of the NWA. And so I get like the best thing I can guess, besides being a Jim Cornette pet project, who was one of the Ted writers at the time, mm-hmm. was is the I is that like this is that like it lets this it lets you have this quasi ability to beat WCW physically every week, except they never call hearken to that. I but like, yeah, no, it just feels like this weird, like almost symbolic, like like dick wagging from Vince McMahon of like, look what I can do with my money, but it's so meaningless and pointless and it has no, like, I feel nothing. It has absolutely no stakes to it. Mm-hmm. Um, um, like, and it, which is even funnier with the context you gave me that Jeff Jarrett is kind of like, was kind of like disgraced at this point. Um, and yeah, I like, did, yeah, I didn't doesn't like him. So like, yeah, what, I, I did degrade him. Yeah. I didn't really mention it at this point, but like, This is Jeff Jarrett is in the middle of his second run in the WWF after leaving the company pretty soon after pretty some way about midway into the new generation. Then he has a run in WCW. Then he comes back to the WWF early in late 97 and like his and he kind of immediately falls off the map because he starts because he start the very first night he comes back. He does this whole like work shoot promo where he rags on Stone Cold Steve Austin's Austin 316 promo for being blasphemous to God. Yeah. And that kind of soured everyone in the back. And that like that pissed Steve Austin off. And that basically soured Jeff Jarrett's relationship with creative and management at that point. Yeah. Uh, wh- whatever relationship he had, he'd already been fucking fired once. Right. Like, so, so, like, Vince McMahon just straight doesn't give a fuck about Jeff Jarrett at this point. And that's probably a big, and that's probably part of why he's stuck doing this. Yeah, I know. Which, like, it's, again, it just feels like this weird, like, way for Vince McMahon to, like, to, like, piss on his, like, smaller, like, feuds with other random things. Like, why? Why is this here? It's so weird. 
No, and, and they tried to even they tried to give the NWA thing a story beat where you have the 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 you have a Black Bradshaw's tag team partner Blackjack Barry Windham betraying him to join the NWA group, but like I don't care. Yeah. I, I couldn't tell. I've watched like six months worth of this by now, and I couldn't tell you one match the Blackjacks won. Yeah, it it like the. It it just like I'm like, uh, literally I had no context like who the fuck are these people they seem so like nothing this is they 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 mean nothing and they don't seem to have any connection to anything past or present or future like we're just kind of like they're just here and all of a sudden we're treating them like they like they're far more major characters than they actually are why yeah and I on and like. I thought they would have had a more follow up with Owen Hart because as I'm as I kind of threw out there in the first half is it like the the big thing coming out of the Royal Rumble for that for that side of the storyline is that when the Owen Hart came out in the Royal Rumble they like jumped him as he was entering the match so I would have assumed they would have had some follow up with that in some shape or form but nope hmm not mentioned not 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 relevant Owen Hart doesn't give a shit apparently the, yeah. the NWA doesn't try to bring it up, so I'm like, why did you do that? And like, what what happened here? It, yeah, it it's it's it, it's it just feels like a weird thing to throw in in the middle. Like, it's a time filler, mm-hmm. I guess. But like again, it, it's cool. Jeff Jarrett's cool to watch because he's clearly very physically gifted and like good at what he does in ring. It's just all the rest surrounding it feels so inconsequential. Mm-hmm. Um, what what right. a what a sad note to end this episode on, but that does cover everything. <laughs> yeah, I know. We we got to start like we got to start like like we uh, got to stop doing all the death stuff first. I know, I know. Um, but like, but like, I mean, overall, again, this was this was fine. Um, mm-hmm. this is this is one of those episodes that's like it's it, it's it's um very much the status quo of mm-hmm. this is. WWE era, you know, uh, WWF in this era at its standard. Um, you know, we have our structure of how we have to do things. Um, and we just kind of throw it all together into this veritable fruit salad of content. Um, mm. where, um, where each thing gets its own little bit of time and we're just kind of paying lip service to, to whatever plot lines are going on. Um, and then we have one big moment, at the end. Um, and yeah, it's, and I, it's and disappointing I, that we can't get like great episodes every week. That that this mm-hmm. is kind of more the standard, and it's a little bit more mediocre. But it still does have its entertaining moments, and for that, I can't fault it too hard. Mm-hmm. It's re- wrestling. I wish uh, some. I wish could be a little more. You know, momentous on a regular basis. But I also understand that it's it's a fifty-two a week, uh, fifty-two a year kind of a of a show and like we can't all have major things happening every time um yeah and this this is this is an episode that's that's a great reminder of that mm-hmm. and i i'm kind of learning to to uh through through this podcast learning to i don't want to say like um i don't want to say like be okay with this because like I always wish it could be as good as like the best stuff we watch. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, I'm learning to appreciate the, um, 
the 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 smaller bits of entertainment where I can find it rather than having it all be um like rather than like it kind of being over underwhelming as a package and thus just kind of being disappointed with the whole thing like yeah this I, is, this I, is I, another this is a case where the sum of its parts are greater than the whole mm -hmm. yeah and i don't and i wouldn't even consider that like you know that might sound a little close to like lowering your standards or whatever but i don't really i don't really I don't see it that so. way I, I think of it as like understanding what the me how the medium works and the way it tells stories because i think that's relevant to uh, analyzing it and critiquing it is understanding what it looks like precisely um it it's and 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 it makes it does it does make me appreciate like um the some of the more um individual talents that are up there mm -hmm. of you know even even if um it, even even with like you know characters uh, you know wrestlers that on a whole I dislike. Like again, Shawn Michael mm -hmm. on a whole I really don't like Shawn Michael. But I can appreciate when D Generation X is doing stuff that actually like entertains me and actually gets some chuckles out of it. Mm -hmm. Um uh, and and I can recognize these are people who, even if I deeply kind of don't like them for one reason or other, I can recognize some sort of talent. I can recognize some entertainment value. And at the very least I can see why on a whole people enjoy these these characters or these uh mm. these kind of bits um and i i do appreciate that like this that like kind of through the podcast i'm getting more of a perspective on that too of even if it's not perfect what can i find to be entertained by because in a way wwf wwe and professional wrestling on a whole is kind of um is kind of formed on the base of this guerrilla style of entertainment of mm -hmm. throw everything at the wall, see what sticks. Absolutely. And so, uh, next week, uh, you know, if, if you thought that this episode was perhaps a little light on, on storyline consequences, okay. well, we're going to not worry about that next week because next, next time, we are we we've kind of been building to this on this podcast for a couple months now the Ooh. in that you know the pipe bomb promo was setting up you know john cena versus cm punk well <gasps> next week we have our very first pay-per-view episode as we cover money in the bank 2011 <gasps> 10 years ago wow that feels weird to say cm punk fought john cena for the wwe championship let's go <gasps> I'm so excited. Oh god, I've I've been loving Summer of Punk and oh man, finally some payoff. And finally I get to watch some money in the bank. Oh, this is so cool. Now this, this folks, is an over is 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 a um is a is a wide spanning arc with satisfying payoff. This Indeed. is how you do it. Take note, Attitude Era. <laughs> David hit the plugs. Alrighty, my friends. Thank you ever so much for spending some spending some quality time with us um, on the Noobs and Knockouts podcast. Um, if you are a returning viewer, welcome back. We're so happy to have you. If you're a new viewer uh, or listener, welcome for the first time. So happy you could join us. I hope you 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 stick around to join us some more. Uh, if you would like to continue to do so and make doing so very easy for you, there are a myriad of ways you can uh, you can continue to to actively pursue uh, our content. First of all, 
we are on YouTube. You can find the Noobs and Knockouts podcast on YouTube. Please subscribe to us. Uh, you know, leave some likes, comments. We love that. We love that mm, tasty engagement. Um, you can also find us uh, on uh, audio with Spotify, Apple, and Google. And you will, uh, you will no doubt be enjoying just as much our uh, our sultry, dulcet tones. Uh, and I, I certainly hope there uh, we can get some some tasty engagement and get some uh, get some likes, get some uh, uh, some ratings, reviews, what have you. Um, just again, if you're enjoying if you're enjoying this, let us know. Uh, also, if you want to find us on our socials, uh, we are on Twitter at uh, Noobs N Knox Pod. That's Noobs the letter N Knox Pod. Um, you can, you can email us at noobs and knocks pod. Uh, and that's the, that's the word. And this time noobs and knocks pod at gmail.com. If you want to write the show, kind of, you know, t- give us some feedback, suggestions for future episodes, anything of that sort, uh, just, just come and say, hi, we're always, we're always happy to hear from you. And finally, you can find us on patron Patreon, join us on our $1 patron tier, get early access to episodes every week and a shout out in the credits. Yes, Absolutely. So see you guys next time. Hasta luego.